2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11 says, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 11. Now, uh, you know, we, I use this principle a lot, which is getting meanings, definitions, comprehensions, other scriptures, and substituting it into other verses so as to get further insight. And, um, and, and, and as, if, if you, over the last several weeks, you can check out some of the messages, but one of the things that the Lord has really blessed me with, 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 with that spoke to me is the fact that the sacrifice is confidence. That faith is confidence in the sacrifice. It's having that deep conviction about every aspect of the sacrifice. Confidence in the sacrifice. So I've used that and I've substituted it into many verses where I see the word faith so as to get from further insight. Like the just shall live by faith. Those of us, those of, that have been declared righteous, to function as the righteous, to function as the one that is justified as if, as if sin has never been, you got to do it by faith. You got to do it by having a confidence in the sacrifice of Christ. You got you to live with a confidence in the fact that you were crucified with Christ. The old nature has been buried, and you now have a brand new nature, the nature of Christ. You now have the very life of Christ, and you stand before his presence without condemnation. As if sin has never been, you stand in his presence. You now have to, this life, the way you live it, the way it's sustained, is you live it in the authority of the name of Jesus, and the life that comes out of that name, John 20, 31, and so on. So, just substituting the confidence in the sacrifice and where you see faith verses is just wonderful some of the things that just, that just comes out of that. And so we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. But this time it doesn't just say faith. It says faithful. Full of faith. Amen? So it's as if it is a faithful saying. It is a saying that is so full and impactful because of this steadfast confidence in the sacrifice of Christ. And it is embodied in this very phrase that if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we identify with his death and his burial, then we can also identify with his resurrection and ascension and walk and live in the newness of life. Walk and live as one that has been raised up with him in the power and in the authority of resurrection life. It says in Proverbs 28 verse 20 that the faithful man, the man that is full of confidence in the sacrifice of Christ, the faithful man shall abound in blessings. Hallelujah. The blessings of the Lord that is inside of his spirit whereby he's been blessed with every spiritual blessing. It will abound and overflow. If he would, ha if he would be full of confidence in what Jesus did in his sacrifice. Isn't that wonderful? That's awesome. And again it says in, 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 Hebrew, in Hebrews 6 verse 12. 
That through faith, confidence in this sacrifice, and patience, that's remaining steadfast in the faith. Remaining steadfast and maintaining that confidence in the sacrifice, you shall what? Inherit the promises. That inheritance that is yours, you'll be able to possess it and manifest it. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Turn with me to um, Isaiah chapter 51. Sorry, go with me to Philippians chapter 3 instead. Philippians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Paul says in verse 9, are we there? Philippians chapter 3. Oh, let me just go all the way back to verse 7. <laughs> Those things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The excellency of the knowledge of the one that lives on the inside of me. Because it is the knowledge of him that causes grace, that flows through righteousness, to be multiplied and increased. The knowledge and the unveiling of the reality of he that is on the inside of you. Is what causes this abounding grace to flow. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 says. That when God called you. He called you with a holy calling. And it was not according to your works. But it was according to his own purpose. And grace. Which was given in Christ from before the foundation of the world. But it is unveiled and it begins to come to the surface. It is brought to light as Christ in you is unveiled. As he appears. The knowledge of him, that life inside of you, which is part of the sacrifice of Christ. It's part of why he came. It's part of why he did what he did. So I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I suffer the loss of all. And I count them but down. That I might win Christ. That Christ might be formed in me. Not only in my spirit. But in my soul. And that I might be found in him. Anytime you come looking for me. I might not be outside of him, but I might be found in him. That I might be found in him. I'm reminded of a verse of scripture that says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be clothed with him and make no provision for the flesh. And I see in that that it is saying... Abide and remain in the sacrifice of Christ and don't make any allowance, don't be caught outside the sacrifice. Don't make any provisions to live by the flesh, to live as one that is without God, to live as one that is alienated from him. But continually live in this place wherein you have been crucified 
And where in the life that you now live, it is the life of Christ. And you live it by the faith of the Son of God. And so forth so that I might be found in him, Philippians 3 verse 9, that I might be found in him. Not having my own righteousness which is of the law, not based on my own performance. But that which is true, the faith and confidence in the sacrifice of Christ, the very righteousness which is of God by faith. And in this place that I might know him, that I might know him, that I might be intimate with him, that I would operate in such oneness with him. And that I would know the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. What is my share? What is my part in that suffering? Remember the word. Fellowship of his suffering. Your part in the suffering. It says back in Romans that I think chapter 8 and around verse 18. That if you suffer with him you will also be glorified together with him. And the suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. The suffering is not worthy to be compared with the excellency of God that shall come forth. The suffering is not worthy to be compared with that glory. For he has called us to glory. He didn't just come to get us saved, but he came to bring many sons to glory. Into that excellence. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. What is that? Being made conformable unto his death. Isn't it wonderful to have this fellowship with his suffering and as a result the life and the power that comes out of there? Because if you be dead with him, then you live with him. Isn't it wonderful to be able to know him in such a dimension and to know the power of his resurrection? And to be found in him and to be clothed with the very righteousness of God? But look at what it hinges on. You being made conformable unto his death. Isn't that interesting? Being made conformable unto his death, if by any means that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The Amplified says, if possible that I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead even while I'm in the body. So that even while I'm here in this natural body, yet I can live in the power and the reality of resurrection, the resurrected life. But this hinges on what? Me being made conformable unto his death. It is a faithful saying. If you died with him, you also live with him. But it's not as though I've already attained. Or were already perfect. But I pursue. I follow. If that I may apprehend or get a hold of. That for which. Also, I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. There was a purpose when God got a hold of me. There was a purpose when God got a hold of you. And brethren, I come to myself to apprehend it, but it's one thing. I forget those things which are behind and I reach forth to those things which are before. And I'm pressing to that mark. I'm pressing to that mark for the prize of the high calling. The high calling of God in Christ. That mark and the price that comes 
for that high calling. That mark, which is the high calling and a prize that comes with it. That mark, that place where my identifying with his suffering, being crucified with him and resurrected with him, and abandoned and yielded to him, consumed with his life, eating of his flesh, drinking of his blood, so that his life would be made manifested. When I'm so consumed, when he now has such total possession of me, that's the mark. Then I hear I get a prize, which is the fullness of him. Which is being so clothed with him. So that this is God's purpose, that it might no longer be me, but it would be me totally consumed with him. That is the very purpose of it, of it all. And Paul said, but all of that hinges on, hinges on what? Me being made conformable unto his death. Paul felt that this was such a big deal that he said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2. He says, look, I, am, I have determined not to know anything among you except Jesus and him crucified. I'm not concerned about whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, what house you live in, what your background is, what your history is. What you, I'm not concerned about any of that. All I'm concerned about is Christ and him crucified. I want to see evidence that it's no longer you that you're crucified with Christ. I want to see evidence that it's the life of Christ that is flowing out of you that you are walking in. So that is the whole purpose of God. This manifestation of the Christ life. This is the high call. That you might be consumed with him. Now. That is the purpose. Which of course. You know. And, and, and as you are consumed with him. And as his life takes you over. Then what happens? The other purposes of God. Or the sub purposes. If you want to call it that. Destroying the works of the enemy. Hey. It's the life of Christ. And the spirit of God in you. That does the work. Is it not? It's not by might nor power. But it's by the Holy Ghost. Jesus said that when you see this demon cast out, know that it is the work of the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God has come near. It's just a work just by the finger of God. But it is, it is that responsibility of making the enemies his footstool. But it is that life of Christ that is in us that accomplishes that purpose. It is the life of Christ in us that will cause, Jesus said, the government is on his shoulder. And of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. There is a, a purpose of the increase and the expansion of the government of God. Isn't that right? But how is that done? It is by the life of Christ flowing out of us. And that life is dependent on what? It is dependent on being made conformable unto his death. That life is dependent on 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that that life of Christ might be made manifest. Always exercising and being consumed with and in the sacrifice of Christ that our life also, which is the purpose of God, might be made manifest. The manifestation of his life, that's the purpose of God. Now, in the call of God, he has called us to this. This is the high call. And, and, and the calling of God is to be made manifest. The Christian life is not to be some set of theological stuff. It's supposed to be something we experience, something we manifest. It must, the, the life of Christ must be manifested so that others could taste and see. Now, the hope of his calling. Paul prayed that we know what is the hope 
of his calling. This life must be made manifest. You see, what God has called, what God has spoken, what God has uttered concerning you, whether it be that you be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Amen? Whatever God has said, whatever God has promised, what God has foreordained for you from before the foundation of the world, even the very pathways that you are to walk in. God did not just proclaim and declare and call these things just for the fun of it. It is His will that it be fulfilled, that it comes to pass. And what I am saying is, this issue of, of exercising, walking in the sacrifice of Christ, being conformed unto His death, is a major key to it. Now let's just think about some of those callings for a moment. The Bible says, for instance, in um, Galatians 5 verse 1, that you are called to liberty. Is that good? Yeah. Do you like, you like liberty? Yeah. Right? Whom the Son says free is free indeed. Not having all these boundaries and limitations. Being like a bird without a cage door. You're free. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You're called to liberty. It also says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, that you are called to the fellowship of Christ. Say fellowship of Christ. Right? On our fellowship with God, John talked about in first epistle of John. You are also called to holiness, first Thessalonians 4 7. You are also called to the grace of Christ. Say the grace of Christ. And I think that that's Galatians 1 6. You are also called to his kingdom. And the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. You don't operate and function in this kingdom based on, uh, on appearances, based on, on fleshy stuff. No, you, you, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God, that realm, that dominion that is with power, that dominion of God, that sphere of operation of God, you have been called to that kingdom. That kingdom is in you, and God wants it to manifest through you. Amen? You have been called to eternal life. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith that you might lay a hold on eternal life. The life and nature of God to which you are also called. Colossians 3 verse 15 says, you are called to the peace of God. So all these things you are called to. Now watch this. These things that you are all called to. Every, then there is one other, there is another one. This one is quite interesting. And that is in 1 Peter 2 24, 21. That's, that, um, that says in 1 Peter 2 21. I just want to make 2.21, it says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that we should follow his steps. Here and now you also called, you are called to suffering. There's another place where Paul says about him completing the suffering of Christ. Let me see if I can pull that quickly. Yes, okay. Philippians 1, 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now I know sometimes we might think suffering in terms of sickness and, and persecution and all of that. There's, there, there's some of that that we've got to fight against. But it's not talking about that kind of suffering. It's talking about what, what is the suffering we're talking about. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Arm yourself with this mind. For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Suffered saying no to the flesh. Say no to the flesh. Do you think the flesh likes that? Do you think the flesh likes when you don't make no provisions for it? 
Right? When you just decide I'm going to stay in the sacrifice of Christ as if I'm crucified and it's no longer I. I'm no, not going to be self-willed. It's not my will. My meat is only to do his will. The flesh don't like that. The flesh don't like when you're going to stay in that place where I'm not affected by other people. What people think, what they don't think, one way or the other, don't touch me. They're crucified to me, I'm crucified to them. I am not moved by the will of man. I do not live for the will of man. I do not live for my own will, but I live for the will of God. That means saying no to the flesh. That's the suffering. And then it says, arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that had suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin. Which means he's what? He has ceased from, from that self-will, self-motivation, that self self Sin nature thing. And he no longer should live the rest of his life, time in the flesh, to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Are you with me? So what is this? So here Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 21, he says that you are called to the suffering of Christ. You are called to that suffering. Now, which is to say, you are called to say no to the flesh. Say no to the flesh. And make no provisions. But now watch this. It takes, saying no to the flesh, first of all, is to say, the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision to the flesh. He must increase, I must decrease. Jesus says, you want to have my life? Lay down that life. If you want to come after me, take up your cross. Go to that cross. Recognize that you've been crucified. Isn't that right? He says, this is the only way it's going to work. Now you see, if it's the life of Christ being made manifest, and the very key to functioning in this life of Christ is you got to partake of his suffering. You want his life? What do you got to do? Be dead with him. Conformable unto his death. You want his life? If you suffer with me, him. So the, so the very key to the very life of Christ being made manifest, and again, what is the key to that life? Practicing, pra always bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus. So here's what happened. That very life of Christ being manifest is liberty. That life of Christ being made manifest it is, what, is what will bring you into holiness, the very grace of Christ, the kingdom of God, the nature of God, eternal life, the peace of God, and all of it. In other words then, all of these other callings are fulfilled in this Christ in you, the hope. Of his calling. And the key to that is what? No to the flesh. Amen? So what am I saying then? It says then that the key to the callings which are part of the purposes of God. That in and of itself is directly connected to the sacrifice of Christ. How important is the sacrifice of Christ? And then what about offense? Remember offense? Remember, remember Peter? When Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, what? Why? Why Why did Jesus say that to him? It says in, in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, he says, get thee behind me, Satan, because you are an offense unto me, because you savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You are an offense to me, because you, your, your whole motivation is what's in it for you. Your whole motivation is defending yourself, etc., etc., you see, Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. Do you think Jesus had a defense? Do you think Jesus could argue this case? 
But why did he open up his mouth? Because if he had opened up his mouth and defended himself, he would have yielded to that spirit of offense and that would have disqualified him for being, from being the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. He would have cooperated with the devil, which was the plot and the scheme and the strategy of the enemy to bring people into his camp underneath his bondage is by getting them to yield to the spirit of offense, which is selfish motivation, and it's a trap. It's a snare. Amen? In the process, you might be offended, but whether you're offended or not, just that selfish motivation, looking out for number one. So Jesus said, Peter, that's the problem. And Jesus went on to say in Matthew 16, 24, if any man want to come after me, what, he, what does he have to do? Deny himself. And do what? Take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever shall lose his life shall save it, and he that save his life. And whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What are we talking about here? What, what are we talking about here? We are talking about the fact that this very spirit of offense, Jesus just said, the way you overcome that spirit of offense, Peter, that you just yielded to, is get, pick up your cross. In other words, deny self. And while you're denying self, you might as well deny others, serve them, but bless them, but deny them too. <laughs> because the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, that we just judge that if one died for all, then were what? All dead. Amen? And henceforth we do not live for the will of man. We do not live for our own will. But we live for the will of him who died for us and rose again. So that I am crucified. My old nature is crucified. But you are also crucified to me. Amen? Which means I'm not here to do your will. I'm not here to do my will. I'm only here for his will. If I seek to do to, to, to do the, if I seek to serve if I seek to do the will of men it says in Galatians 1 verse 10 then I'm no longer the servant of God. The mere fact of the word servant means I'm the servant of God meaning what? His will. That's my meat. So the very answer to this offense, which is the strategy of the enemy to bring you underneath that kingdom of darkness and to get him to get you yoked together with his scheme, the answer to that is what? The sacrifice. So Jesus says, so it says there in Philippians, unless you become conformable even unto death, this is necessary if you want to have the power of his resurrection, if you want to live in this place of intimacy where you might know him, if you want to apprehend that for which he has apprehended you, etc., etc. If you want to walk in the reality while in this body as one that has already been raised up. If you want to live in the reality that yes, you are seated at the Father's right hand. And this is where you function and speak and declare and decree from. Because you cannot operate from there while the devil still have a hook on you. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Alright. So is this stuff important? Is the sacrifice important? Now again, the sacrifice also answers every need that there is in the human race. Every need. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 16 to 20 um, says, For where there is a will, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. And if, and for a testament is a force or it is in force after men are dead. Otherwise it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Isn't the very sacrifice of Christ a declaration that the one who made the will died? But he also raised up, was raised up from the dead. So the people can cheat 
when it comes to the inheritance. People do that all the time, you know. They go to court and they fight over the inheritance. If that guy could have come back and straightened things out. <laughs> right? I want this antique. 